And when I came here to Atlanta, I was looking for a job. Atlanta compared to New Orleans was like, oh my gosh, this land of milk and honey, all of the the company, the Fortune 500 companies that have a presence here, you know, again, Home Depot, Coca-Cola, Delta Airlines is headquartered here, Chick-fil-A, all of these companies. So I thought for sure, oh, they're going to be beating down my door (laughs) to hire me. Here I am, this chemical engineer with this newly minted MBA. It did not happen that way, Barb. It did not happen that way at all, because there are a lot of really smart, talented people here. And I just happened to be reading. It's funny how things happen to you. I started reading different articles, books, watching documentaries. And it was as though the universe was conspiring to send this message to me. Alicia, we are all born with natural skills, talents, and abilities but we've been indoctrinated through our school system to learn. We're, we're basically taught to work for someone else, mm-hmm. to go and work for that really large company instead of capitalizing on the skills and the talents that you naturally have and build a business around that. This is episode 202 with Alicia Butler-Pierre. going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the American Sippers Podcast. Once again, my name is Dave Brown. I'm here with my co-host, Barbara Allen, and we have another incredible show for you. Uh, Today's guest is Alicia Butler-Pierre. Alicia is an expert on business infrastructure and entrepreneurship. Her expertise includes understanding how to build and maintain safeguards into business that will help entrepreneurs avoid or recover from unexpected ambushes. Alicia walked away from her hard-earned chemical engineering job at one of the most notorious companies in the world to pave her own path. She ignored the negativity from those who doubted her decision, moved to a different state, and dusted off her MBA to pursue the life she believes is right for her. In this episode, Alicia shares her insight on preparing for the unexpected, pivoting personal and professional plans to adapt to COVID and other major disasters, and how women can step out of the shadows and into the spotlight. She offers actionable steps for any entrepreneur to take to protect their business, and she talks about how to extract skill sets from one career and apply them to an entirely different path. Everything Alicia talks about is especially relevant today, as so many Americans are struggling to rebuild their businesses or careers that have been destroyed either from COVID or from the mandated closures and restrictions. So without further ado, here is Alicia Butler-Pierre with Barbara Allen. You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. I'm your co-host, Barb Allen. This week, I have the immense pleasure of sitting down with Alicia Butler-Pierre. And this is really refreshing for me personally, and it will be for you too, I know. In case you haven't noticed, American Snippets is a little heavy on the testosterone-packed guests, which is fine. I can definitely navigate myself on the man's world, right? But I love, love connecting with women who have forged their own path and created success for themselves and are confident enough to come on and tell people about it. And Alicia, you are one of those women I was very glad to connect with. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Oh, thank you so much, Barb, for extending the invitation. I really appreciate it. 
Yeah, this is going to be excellent and fun. So you're the CEO and founder of Equilibria. Tell us first what that company is. So it is an operations management consulting firm. So what, what that really means, Barb, is we, we basically help fast-growing small businesses scale with less pain. In yeah. a nutshell, that's that's what we do. In a nutshell. I know you say it like so pleasantly and softly. I know, but I know. It's, like it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's way more complex, I think, than it sounds. But you simplify it and dial it down. I imagine even that approach, that like confidence, soothing, like, hey, this isn't that big a deal. We got your tone. is really comforting to your clients because I know how overwhelming it is to look at a company and be like, we don't know how to run this thing. You know? That's That's such a great point because- yeah. We're going into a, a very chaotic situation because when companies are growing really fast, they're just they're building they're they're building the plane as they fly it, so to speak, and things are all over the place. There's there's no standardization usually. All of the knowledge usually resides in one or two people's heads. They're trying to build a team around that, and it's it's just a very chaotic environment. And so you're right, being able to go in there with a sense of calm that alone has a tremendous effect on the people that we work with. Like you were saying, like even when we just started talking, for me, everybody who knows me well knows, and I was just having this conversation with another colleague of mine, we're launching another uh, insane business on our own, but uh, you know, I'm a front end girl, right? I am, I am the one who likes to do all the front end thing and the operational stuff, which is really the most important part of a business is somewhere where, like I, not only it just disinterests me, but I'm blessed enough to know that my partner is really good at that and, and has it covered. So were it not for the fact that I am partnered with somebody, not that I'm sure we couldn't use, I actually, I know we could use some like straightening up here or there. Right. But especially for people who maybe are overwhelmed by, by the business end of it, to have a professional like you come in and now you You've worked with some really notable clients and done some things. Why don't you rattle off, go ahead and name drop and talk about some of the clients that you've worked with. So in addition to small, smaller companies, yeah. I've, I've also worked with much larger companies like Coca-Cola, Home Depot. I've, I've done some work for Lowe's Corporation. Right. Oh gosh, uh, the CDC. I've worked with the Library of Congress. So there's a, there's a blend there, but yeah. To be honest with you, my my passion is really with small business. Yeah, and I think so, but that's notable because a lot of people would say, okay, I'm working with these great companies, this is where I'm gonna stay. So for you to then choose to to step away from those giant corporations and say, no, this is where I'm more heavily invested, I can work with you. I think that brings more credibility to you too. Like here's somebody who's worked with all these behemoth companies and you're taking all that information and bringing it directly to a person who's going to, it's like this much energy and this much of a shell. And you can only go like up from that, right. If they follow, uh, you know, your, your, that's, instru- that's, your teachings. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's exactly right. You know, these larger organizations, they're so large. There's so many layers of management. There's bureaucracy most often than not that's involved. But when you're working with those smaller companies, they actually listen to what you're telling yeah. them. And, and you can readily see the impact of your advice and your recommendations and the solutions that you are deploying for them. Whereas in a, a larger organization, it can, it can be a while before you start to see the impact. Even they, and they may not ultimately go with your recommendation at all. 
you get paid, but yeah. <laughs> but when, when when you're working with the much smaller companies, again, you just have that ability to readily see the impact that you're making. And there's something very self-gratifying about that. There a hundred percent is. Some of my personal frustration as being the one who's not on the back end and doing the tangible, okay, you know, this, I'm going to set up the SEO, whatever it is, I'm going to see this. When you're like the creative front end, you don't get to see that progress so much. And it can feel like spinning your wheels and it takes like a little extra oomph to get up and going now. Right. But you didn't always start. And this is one of the things, there's a lot of different like tweaks and twists and turns in your, in your um, path that I really love. And I want to pull a note out. You didn't start as a CEO of your company. You didn't like get up and say, I'm an entrepreneur today. You went the college path, not only college path, chemical engineering with an MBA as well, because why not be an overachiever? (laughs) And then you, (laughs) you actually started off your career in an entirely different industry. Yes. (laughs) So talk about- Would you like to know how that started? Yes. (laughs) Well, Barb, I was always very good in science, and I had a particular aptitude for chemistry. So when it came time in my senior year of high school, instead of taking physics, I took an advanced level of of chemistry. So by, by the time I graduated from high school, I had two years of chemistry under my belt. And in my senior year, my high school chemistry teacher she knew that, you know, it was the time of year when most students were starting to apply for college. And she took a particular interest in what my future career was going to be. And I selected chemistry. Originally, I wanted to do journalism, believe it or not. There's a whole story. That's a completely that. different side of your <laughs> I know, brain. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but but because I realized I was good at chemistry, I enjoyed it. So that was what I thought I wanted to get to major in in college. And she told me, you know, that's good, but you're not going to make a lot of money as an, you know, with an undergraduate degree in chemistry. You would almost have to go up to the PhD level before you start to make really good money. But if you chose chemical engineering, you can make great money right out of college. And so, Barb, I wish I could tell you there was something more scientific to it, something more, you know, that I had an epiphany, but, but it was about money. I wanted to make money. That is an epiphany. Like that's a big, Hey, I'd like to get paid for this. I'd like to get paid well. (laughs) And so I, I pursued, I pursued my degree in chemical engineering. And once I finished and I started working in industry, my very first job was at Monsanto. And what I realized working there, I had the technical knowledge but I didn't understand the business. I didn't understand the business decisions that were driving the production schedules, for example. You know, one day you may be told to operate at full capacity. The very next day you may be told to shut everything down. Well, why? What's, what's driving that? And it had nothing to do with the science or the engineering behind it. It was based on some business decisions. And I, I just, it was like, speaking another language, talking about assets and liabilities and equity and debt equity. That was so foreign to me. So that's why I decided to go back to business school. So I was working full-time during the day and going to school at night. So, so that's why, um, that's how that came about, um, in, in my career. Yeah. Well, that was a smart move and it paid off for you 
when you wound up leaving that company. And that's another, I feel like we have about eight different podcasts here and a completely different topics <laughs> because there's already like words you're saying where I'm like, boing, boing, like I, that I'd love, but that's a completely different topic, right? So we're just going to stick to the path here that we chose. But um, so you wound up leaving that company and then I did branching out on your own and going in a completely different path. And again, as we were talking about before we started recording, there's going to be a lot of people out here right now who are in a whole new career path than they were one year ago before COVID hit and all that. And maybe some mm -hmm. people are at the point now where they're realizing that, hey, the current business they're in isn't going to sustain it and they're going to have to take another path. But a lot of people get trapped in that functional fixedness where, you know, you're a chemical engineer and now you're a really, you know, sought after business professional, helping people mold and craft and really build their businesses infrastructure, which is not using chemistry, but you're using <laughs> so many of the skills and traits. And this is where I want anyone who is stuck in this position now or worried about how to flip careers, how to move from one career into a career that has seemingly nothing to do with it. Pay close attention to Alicia's story here because she learned how to pull uh, things from that one career into a completely different career. Alicia, what are the traits that you pulled from your chemical engineering path into your business path? And how did you figure out how to do that? Sure. And thank you for that question, because I wish more people would ask me that. Um, chemical engineers, Barb, we, we usually work as process engineers or design engineers. I worked as a process engineer. And what that meant was, we'll just take Roundup, for example, because that's what I was making when I worked at Monsanto. If there was a particular batch of Roundup that was produced, and if it did not meet certain specifications, as the process engineer, I had to literally figure out what went wrong in the process of producing that particular batch to cause it to not meet the specification. So. Applying that to business, it's still about process. Some people refer to it as workflow, whatever you want to call it. It's about making sure information, instead of chemicals or gas, gasoline flowing through a pipeline, now I'm actually looking at how work actually flows and information flows throughout a business. So to me, the, the process piece of being a chemical engineer is single-handedly the largest skill and the, the trait that I've carried with me into business is having that very methodical mindset. And sometimes it can be a bit much because the, the, the level of severity, I would say, isn't usually as large as it is when you're in a manufacturing environment. For example, if I tell you Barb, this particular manufacturing process requires 50% water, 10% sugar. And if you decide, well, I want to do 40% water and 20% sugar. Well, that's, <laughs> you know, your customers are going to be angry. Yeah. <laughs> but but, but in, a, in a more serious uh, light, it could actually cause an explosion. It could lead to a fatality. So there is no room for for error or, or interpretation, I guess is a better word, when you're in a manufacturing environment. However, on the business side, when you're talking about your process for producing your podcast, 
your pro- your sales process, your process for your for search engine optimization of your website. You have a lot more flexibility. You still want to to have something in place so that whether you perform that process or someone else performs it, it's going to roughly produce the same result. But sometimes I think some people can get maybe a little bit too loosey-goosey with their processes if they even have their processes documented. But again, to circle back to your original question, it's all about process. And that is the one factor above anything else probably that I brought over with me from my career as a chemical engineer. What, um, do you have any words of encouragement or advice, or I guess advice would be better insight to somebody who's in the similar position now, because we're seeing, you know, just some crazy times here where people are losing careers or changing careers or trying to pivot and create new things. So what, what, what is it that you can say to somebody who's in the situation trying to figure out what on earth to pull from one career into another? I have pivoted so many times. It's not even funny. <laughs> and, and, but in, in all seriousness, for anyone who is watching this or listening to this, listen to your inner voice. We live in an incredibly noisy world. We have our phones pushing through notifications all the time. We have the internet. We have TV. We have billboards. The minute we step outside of our, you know, wherever we live, There's a lot of noise, but always think about what is truly bringing you joy and what may not be bringing you joy. And if, if I may, if it's okay with you, Barb, when I just, I knew, I knew probably my second year working as a chemical engineer that I did not want to be in a plant for the rest of my career. I knew that I I had to figure out how can I still leverage my career without actually physically being present inside of a plant? Oh, I know. I can go and work at Monsanto's corporate office in St. Louis, Missouri. And that's what I thought I was going to do. But then once I got into business school, I fell in love with it. Oh, my gosh. It was just so much more interesting to me. Not that I I don't enjoy engineering because I still do. But I just found business to be so fascinating. And I looked at my MBA as the tool that I could use to facilitate that career transition. But here's what happened. When I graduated with my MBA, it was the fall of, it was December 2004. About a month later, by that point, I, I quit my job. I was working at a smaller engineering consulting firm. So I did leave Monsanto because I knew I didn't, the corporate environment was not for me. So I worked for a much smaller family-owned engineering consulting firm, much better environment for me personally. That's where my love affair with small business probably started because I had a first, I had a front row seat to what it took to operate a small business. And even though they're considered small, they still had over over 200 employees. But when I, I abruptly decided to quit that job because I just had this nagging, persistent feeling like, Alicia, leave, get out. Don't just get out of this profession necessarily. Get out of this entire city. I was living in New Orleans. And not just get out of the city, get out of the entire state of Louisiana. And I only... I was smart enough to not share that with too many people because we know, we know what happens when you share your dreams. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I was told, you know, have you, 
I'll never forget. I had a, an ex coworker at Monsanto who told me, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And I said, well, you know what? I'll never know unless I get out there and try for myself. Let yeah. me see for myself. And people thought I was absolutely insane, Barb. I had a, I own two homes. So th- by this point, I was about 27 years old. I own two homes. I had a very, I had a very comfortable lifestyle in, in New Orleans. I was single. I didn't have children. I saved most of my money that I made. And I was traveling around the world. I had a great life. So why on earth would I give all of that up and venture into the unknown? But again, I just had this nagging, persistent feeling, this intuitive thought that just would not go away. So I I, I quit my job. I graduated December 2004. Two weeks later, January 2005, I put my house up for sale. Again, I'll never forget, my real estate agent said, oh, nobody's, your house might be on the market. It could be weeks, months, Alicia. My house sold that week. <laughs> Turns out my next, my next door neighbor bought my house. Wow. Um, and I relocated to a city, Atlanta, Georgia, where I literally knew one person. And six months later, Hurricane Katrina happened in New Orleans. Can you imagine, wow. Barb? And when I came here to Atlanta, I was looking for a job. Atlanta compared to New Orleans was like, oh my gosh, this land of milk and honey, all of the the company, the Fortune 500 companies that have a presence here, you know, again, Home Depot, Coca-Cola, Delta Airlines is headquartered here, Chick-fil-A, all of these companies. So I thought for sure, oh, they're going to be beating down my door (laughs) to hire me. Here I am, this chemical engineer with this newly minted MBA. It did not happen that way, Barb. It did not happen that way at all because there are a lot of really smart, talented people here. And I just happened to be reading. It's funny how things happen to you. I started reading different articles, books, watching documentaries. And it was as though the universe was conspiring to send this message to me, Alicia, we are all born with natural skills, talents, and abilities. But we've been indoctrinated through our school system to learn. We're we're basically taught to work for someone else, Mm -hmm. to go and work for that really large company instead of capitalizing on the skills and the talents that you naturally have and build a business around that. So I started thinking, Barb, well, what is it that I'm inherently, naturally very good at? And it's organizing. So I started my company, believe it or not, Equilibria actually started as a professional organizing company. I went to Office Depot. I bought a pack of Avery business cards, the kind that you could stick through your, um, your, your inkjet printer. I made up some business cards and I just started going online looking for different chamber of commerce events, different networking events for business professionals. And that's how it started. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I wish I could just tell bit you. Just by bit, you just put yourself out there exactly. without any real path or plan. I put myself out there. And I, I have to tell you, it was probably a blessing that I didn't have anyone around me at that time. Because I think if I did, if I had close family and yep. a lot of friends, it may not have happened. Because I may have succumbed to the pressures of, 
girl, are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? What are you doing? Go yeah. get a job. Well, keep, keep applying. Um, so, so yes. So for those who are listening, there's a, there's a, there's a thread, a common thread. If you were to sit down and look at your resume and look at all of the different jobs that you may have had up to this point, what are some of the common threads that you've enjoyed about each of those jobs and those work experiences? And what is that, what are those maybe two to three skills that you, no matter whether you were flipping burgers at McDonald's or you were, I don't know, a manager at a Macy's, <laughs> there may have been certain skills that you've applied across all of those different jobs. Capitalize on that and leverage that into whatever you think your next move needs to be. Expose yourself to different ideas, different industries. Read. Barb, I tell people this all the time. <laughs> read a book. Don't just read blog articles. Those are nice. Don't right. get me wrong. But pick up an actual book and read. It's a far different experience from reading an article here and there on the internet. Yeah, a hundred percent. Everything you just said. I mean, I like that you talked about the reaction of people when you're leaving. This is something common, I think, to every entrepreneur I've met, or even somebody who's looking to leave a relationship and that they've been in that other people mm -hmm. think that they should stay in. For so, are you crazy? You have it so good, but no one really knows you like you know you, right? And yes, and I found um, I'm I'm betting that this is similar for you as it was for me when I sort of triaged my time with the people who just had no interest in the entrepreneurial path or just for some reason were unfulfilled in their own lives. And if I did it, it made that, it pointed out the fact that they could do it too, but they weren't doing it too, you know, so it reflected on their own inaction. Right. But when I sort of triaged my time against those two groups of people and started seeking out and surrounding myself with, those who had ventured out, those who had created success, those who dropped and failed and got back up again or still in the path, everything changed for me, uh, for me too. Is that how it was for you? Absolutely. And it's not, I, I think this is worth pointing out. It's not that your family and your friends don't love you. Yeah. But they're, they just can't, people can't always see your vision. And, and you're so right, Barb, you have to surround yourself with your, your tribe, people yeah. who get you, because you can't, I, I can't call my parents and my dad, maybe, but my mother, no, for sure. No, no, <laughs> she's trying. She's still telling me about, you know, uh, job openings 15 years in. Seriously. <laughs> That's really funny. You know, and and you're right. A lot of them, they want what's best for you. Um, I found like two paths, right? They either wanted what's best for me and were afraid I was gonna fall flat on my face again because I'd had so many train wrecks in my life otherwise, you know. And then there were people who were just like miserable in their own lives and came up with all these excuses about why it couldn't happen. But if I proved all those excuses wrong, then they'd have to take a good hard look at themselves and they weren't about that, right? Um, so Absolutely. they try to try to keep you down. What are some of the things that you did? Because I noticed you hop around from event to event to event, not so much maybe this year. Um, but what what do you say to somebody who's, you know, a little leery of going to an event, maybe someone who hasn't gone to an event before? Like what 
value is there in going? Because some of these, you know, can cost a few thousand dollars or or more, depending mm -hmm. on the experience that you buy, right? Um, so, what would you say to someone who's considering going the value of going to an event or not? There is tremendous value in going to events, and I honestly can kick myself for not doing it sooner. I didn't start actively going to events outside of Atlanta until about three years ago, Barb. And the, the traction that I made in, in just the past three years literally outpaces the 12 years before that. And, yeah. and that is not an exaggeration. You have to get out of your own backyard. You really do because your tribe may not necessarily be in your immediate geographic community. There may be pockets of people here in Denver or New York, where you are, and, and California, outside of this country. But you'll never know unless you start becoming an active participant and seeking out these events. There's scores of them. Just pick whatever you're interested in and you will find an event or some type of a conference. A benefit of COVID is that so many things were digitized in 2020. So a lot of things that, that may, may have been cost prohibitive before, you're now able to sometimes even attend for free. I'm, I'm speaking at a conference, a global women's conference actually later today. And, and the Hang first up, 500- Global women, like with Morella Sula? That global woman? No, no, this oh, okay. is called this is called the <laughs> Amplify Her Voice. Okay. And there are going to be at least 300 different speakers, oh, nice. women from around the world. And what I find most fascinating is that there are different speaker sessions dedicated specifically to cryptocurrency. So it's like, oh, I want to know more about that and blockchain yeah. technology. Like that's interesting to me. I don't know a lot about it. So yeah. and the fact that women are going to be speaking about it. That's interesting to me. But even what I will say about attending these events remotely, the networking aspect. Mm, but here's, here's a workaround, Barb. Here's something that I do that has proven to be effective. If, especially whether, even if you don't speak at these events. So for those of you listening, if you just want to attend, and especially if you have, let, let's say, maybe a free ticket, Try to look for, they usually have the directory of speakers. Try to connect with each of those speakers, especially if it's a speaker that will present a topic that's really of interest to you. Try to connect with those people on social media. That's one way. It's, it's a lot of work. But if you're serious about making a career change, if you're serious about building your network, again, outside of your backyard, this is, these are some very strategic things that you can do. And they, it does work. You have to be genuine, of course. Don't just blindly connect with people. But, but tell them, hey, Barb, I listened to your presentation at the such and such conference. It really resonated with me. Can we please connect here on LinkedIn? Or can we, you know, I'm, I'm following you here on Twitter. Would you be open to having maybe a 15-minute conversation with me? That's literally how it starts. It's a lot of work, again, but it, it can definitely be done, even in a remote situation. Yeah. And the other thing I, I think I would tack on to that, as I'm sure you know, you can send out 
50 or 100 of those messages, and maybe only two or three people will say yes to the 15 minutes. But that's all you need is two or three or one person, like the one person that 15 minutes is going to unlock things. So just because you get like 90 no's, because a lot of people aren't going to have that time for that free 15 minute, you know, they probably get hundreds of those requests a week. But that one person or two or three who's going to say, yes, here's my 15 minutes. That's where the gold is, right? Like that's where you need to to go and don't get discouraged um, by those people who say no, continue to follow them and, you know, Mm -hmm. add value to them. And then they're going to eventually notice you. And that's how you got to go. You got to play the long game, I think is what that comes down to. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. That is so true. It's not overnight. And there may be, you know, there's always, you know, outliers, right. But for the most part, you know, even with, with podcasting, as you know, Barb, you have to be in this for the long game and it requires consistency. Yeah. You started your podcast business infrastructure. What what prompted you to do that? Honestly, I was looking for a newer, fresher way of getting the word out about what the heck I do. Like, what is business infrastructure? <laughs> um, and, okay. and the podcast has been such a blessing, Barb, because it's not just me doing monologues. I invite, like, like you, I invite guests onto the show. So it's helping one episode at a time. It's helping to get the word out about what business infrastructure is. But more importantly, where are the res- these are the resources that you can access as a small business owner. This, this doesn't have to seem insurmountable. It doesn't have to seem as though it's something that only applies to manufacturing companies or the large, the large guys that we were talking about. This is accessible information that they can have, you know, that they can easily go and look at on the on the, sh- the show's website. And each guest comes on and, and shares exactly how they did a particular thing. So, again, giving you kind of a glimpse behind the curtain or, or under the hood, if there's a, a particular challenge that you're trying to work through operationally in your business, it's a great podcast to, to check out. Yeah. And that is something to be said about going and listening to something where you come away with like one actionable thing, at least that you can do and apply right now, um, to your world personally or professionally. That's, um, I think that's a must have for, for every episode. So speaking of actionable steps and all that, let's, um, before we move into 500, I feel like all these questions are flying away in my brain, right? So I'm just trying to to focus here. Um, But what are some things now that, because we are, again, about to celebrate the one-year anniversary of 14 days to stop the spread, right? So a lot of of businesses are taking hard, hard, hard hits. Um, If there is somebody Mm -hmm. who is looking to start that new business today, who has found, you know, there's like companies going into sanitized restaurants or whatever, all these creative things um, that are, that are being out there because we're exposing some entrepreneurs, right? This is, Every downside creates opportunity. And now we're seeing these people take these opportunities and run. So for somebody who's found that niche and says, okay, I found a hole, I found a problem created by this past year. I know how to solve it with my company. What are some things you would would suggest to them? One or two or three, whatever uh, steps to take to sort of do their best to bulletproof their business uh, for the next six months or a year, because it feels like you know, where there's talk about another crash coming, a recession and all this. So um, what are some things somebody can do if they're starting out or they have a startup going, some some safety nets to wrap up into their company to help prepare them for what's ahead? 
Sure. And I'm really glad you asked this question. There's, there's so much that yeah. we, we, That's we really could spend yeah. an hour. <laughs> so, yeah. so I'll try to, I'll try my best to summarize it. Yeah. Number one, make sure your operations are digitized. And what I mean by that is get really familiar with digital technologies. If you haven't started incorporating digital technologies into your business, you're in trouble. But, but I'll say this also, Barb, I've, in my opinion, you still need to have that balance. You, you need to kind of have, you know, the analog version of what you do as well as the digital version. Yeah. Here's the challenge when you start to digitize things. Your company becomes susceptible to cyber attacks. So if you have a website for your company, make sure you have, you're adhering to the GDPR policies, you know, privacy policies, cookies policies, but make sure you have that SSL certificate for your company's website. There were so many articles that I read last year, Barb. We, you know, as small business owners, we think, oh, well, I'm, I'm small, you know, who's paying attention to me? They're, they're, that's exactly why they're coming after us because they know our companies, companies are far more vulnerable when it comes to cybersecurity. So just, it's, oh my gosh, I spent so much of 2020 and I thought I had my stuff together, Barb. Yeah. And <laughs> surprise. My company's yeah. website went down for an entire month. Wow. An entire yeah. month because of attacks. Really? It was, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. And I don't want anyone who's watching this or listening to this to go through that. Make sure you have all of those protective measures in place. Yes, it's going to, you're going to have to shell out more money, but I'd rather see you pay up front yeah. than to pay later. So get those, get that firewall protection in place. I had SSL certification. I had, I thought I had all of the things that we needed, but we still had points of vulnerability. So with that being said, as you, whatever, whatever business you are looking to start in, in digitizing your operations, also make sure that you have a resident technology person, a technologist who can help you troubleshoot things. My site went down for a month. I didn't have a technologist on, I, I do now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He, Greg is an employee now. Um, <laughs> That's a whole new career field opening up, right? There's oh going to be a gosh. demand for those. Because when you w think about it, your website, and a lot of people, yeah. I, I don't think entrepreneurs really think of it this way, but it's your digital storefront. Yeah. It has to be maintained. It cannot go down. If you land on Barb's podcast and it goes viral and all of a sudden you have all of this traffic coming to your website, is it going to crash? If yeah. it crashes, who can you call on lickety split to help troubleshoot it and get it back online? Another really important tool that I recommend, now this is also a carryover from my days as an engineer, have that disaster recovery and business continuity plan in place. Things will go wrong. Listen, I'm from Louisiana. We're, we're susceptible yeah. to hurricanes. And so I think that's a big part of why Louisiana is always able, and parts of Florida, for example, the whole Gulf Coast region, I think that's part of why we're able to bounce back. It may not seem quickly, but it's, it's, it's still pretty relatively quickly. Relatively speaking, we're, yeah. Right, relatively speaking. But it's because we know to always be on the lookout for something like that. But... I was listening to one of your episodes and, and you all were talking about the, the snowstorm that, that 
swept through Texas. They weren't prepared for that, clearly. Mm -hmm. Had it been a hurricane? Okay, yes, we know how to deal with hurricanes and flooding. But the point is, anything can happen. It doesn't matter where you live in this world. Strange things are happening. Yes. And I remember, (laughs) I remember what's so interesting about the pandemic, Barb, I can remember reading a Harvard Business Review article maybe back in 2005, 2006. And that was personally for me, my first introduction to what a pandemic actually is. And it was a simulation. And they said, okay, if there's a pandemic, this is what's going to happen. And it was almost, it was so prophetic that it's it's scary to go back and look at that article. I'll have to go find it. I know I yeah. still have it. Yeah. But the same thing happened with Hurricane Katrina. There was a professor at Louisiana State University who comes from the Netherlands. And he, he did a simulation. I think it was called Hurricane Pam. He said, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And when it happens, this is what you can expect. And people just, you know, oh, ignored it or whatever. Right. But get, get your disaster recovery plan in place. And it's not just weather-related disaster. A disaster could come in the form of theft. Mm-hmm. A disaster could come in the form of fire. A disaster could come, again, in the form of a pandemic where you are forced to shut down. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, a, a disaster recovery plan. And I, I'm, I'm more than happy to share a resource that I have for that with your listeners. Maybe you awesome. and I can talk about how we can get yeah. that to, out to people. Well, we're going to yeah, put your um, website up and all that. And we always, always encourage anyone listening who connects with what a guest is saying to follow them online, connect, like that's half the point of what we're doing, right? We don't want to <laughs> just be a one and done. Um, if there's someone, if you're listening to this now and you're like, man, I need to get me some more of Alicia and her, her knowledge, right? Follow her. So we made this a good part to do it. We normally do it at the end, but let's talk about your, your links and like, where can people find you? Sure. The, the best place is my personal website because it has links to all of my social media, um, profiles. So that's aliciabutlerpierre.com. So that's A-L-I-C-I-A. B-U-T-L-E-R-P-I-E-R-R-E dot com. The whole name. Excellent. And then we were going to talk about that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's do it. What's with the, because I had asked for anyone like wondering why we're laughing at this. I had asked her, you know, I always try to ask my guests beforehand before I stumble through their names. Um, do you prefer to be called, go by this name or that name? And yes, Alicia Butler-Pierre, all three of those. What's the story? You know, especially, and I know you can appreciate this when you're trying to market yourself, especially, but the first incident that I can remember happened when I was in college. And for several months, I was receiving these very bizarre phone calls asking me about my parole date. (laughs) When was the last time I had seen my parole officer? And I would keep explaining, I've never been arrested. I have no idea what you're talking about, but it, it persisted. But they had my name. There was another Alicia Butler out there who was a, engaged in criminal activity. And um, oh, wow. <laughs> so that's a likely time. story, Alicia, <laughs> likely story. So, <laughs> yeah. And just really quickly, you know, there was, I remember when I lived in New Orleans, there was another Alicia Butler who had the exact same birthday as me. And we both happened to schedule appointments at the same dermatologist. It, 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 yeah, yeah, that's that's another thing. But <laughs> it was it was just yeah. crazy, right? So I make it a point to. I have that. 
My name, I keep saying if I ever went into witness protection, I wouldn't even have to change my name because there's 500 billion Barbara <laughs> Allens out there. And everywhere I go, it's like, well, let me go through. Which Barbara Allen are you? Like I could just hide right in plain sight because um, there's no way to, you know, we're all the same, I guess, on there. All right. <laughs> So once again, I would really encourage everybody who's listening. And I was like thinking, oh, you know, we have more time. I'm looking at this. Ooh, this just flew by, right? Um, so I, I would like to get this one question in as well before we uh, wrap things up and hit some final thoughts. One of the reasons that we started American Snippets years ago was when we noticed, you know, the kind of divisiveness and unrest in this country. And for me, as my husband lost his life in service, I took it personally. Oh it was goodness. It was impacting me. Um, feeling like this country was falling apart. We were turning on each other. And that was back then, right? Um, but I just knew I, that so many extraordinary people existed in this country. They came forward to help me in so many ways. I never cared what side of the aisle they fell on. They never cared what side of the aisle I fell on. And I believe that that's the true heartbeat of America underneath. Like we still are just Americans are just human beings with extraordinary hearts who happen to disagree on things, right? But we're just trying to connect it and prove that point a little better. But one of the things that we saw coming under attack and people were becoming disenchanted with the notion that the American dream exists for anyone. Um, and what we always like to point out is that the American dream does exist, but it is just different for everybody. We all have our own precise version of what that looks like. And for you, it's one thing, for me, it's another. That's the beauty of it all, I think, um, and that we come together and help each other achieve whatever that version of the dream is for each other. But that means we like to ask our guests, what does that look like for you? Like, what is your version of living your own American dream? Exactly what I'm doing, I guess. I have freedom and flexibility because I am a business owner. That's how I define success. And I guess that's ultimately how I define having the American dream is being able to start my own business on my terms, work with the people that I want to work with. And having my business, Barb, allows me, it doesn't limit me. It doesn't force me into a box. I can bring all of these skills and experiences that you've asked me to, to talk about. I can bring all of that together into one business and then share that with other people out there, not just here in America, but uh, around the world. And that is the greatest feeling and satisfaction. Am I a multi-millionaire? No, but I am happy. I go to bed every night with a clear conscience. And, and I don't, I honestly, this is just me being very truthful. Yeah. I can't relate to people who wallow in misery because of their job, their J-O-B. If you don't like it, get out of it. You can get out of it. Will it be easy? No. And that's the part people don't want to hear. Yeah. Nothing, nothing worth having comes easy. It comes, it requires work. It requires dedication. It requires consistency, being persistent, being tenacious, that's, everybody's not cut out for that. But if you are willing to put in the work, you will be rewarded. I can promise you that. I love it. Love it. And yeah, like you said, it may mean like 
especially people without kids, I think have a little more, a little more flexibility in that. Like, you know, you can move out of the house into the small apartment, into the Airbnb, sure. whatever you have to do without like worrying about school districts and all that. That's the time to go. Right. So if you have to downsize, downsize, especially if you don't have kids, but even if you have kids, I've seen people do it and teach their kids along the way, like, Hey, this is the value, but yeah, it's just going to mean you're going to have to, um, decide what's more important for you, like creature comforts, exactly. short term or long term. And again, I'm going to say, I keep saying one last thing, but we had talked about um, how hard it was to connect with women and to get women oh, out yes. here on the platform. So just give us like your little, um, I don't know, short impression insights into um, how women can connect more and how to how to find these women that are movers and shakers in their own worlds or, or how to become one, like your thoughts on women connecting with other women and sort of lifting each other up. Yes. I find that women, we definitely, we can, we're very, we can definitely embrace each other. So if I were to, you know, we're having this podcast interview right now. I have also found like you, that it is very difficult to book women onto the podcast. Really? If I, if I send an open call out, um, men accept right away fill out the form. Let's go, Alicia. I'm ready. <laughs> Women. Well, can we talk about it first, Alicia? I mean, I want to have a conversation. What's it going to be about? I'm like, girl, you know, your <laughs> stuff. Right. And here's what's so crazy, Barb. There have, there are, there are three women in particular that I'm thinking of who are badass. I mean, they know their stuff. And the thought of being on a podcast scares them to death. And it took me months to figure this out. So here's my conclusion. And I'd love to know what you think about this yeah. too. Podcasting is a form of public speaking. Even though like right now we're on video, but, but a lot of podcasts is purely audio. So even though they may not be seen, they know that when someone listens to your interview, they're hanging and clinging onto your every word. You better get it right. So I, I hear a lot of talk also about the fear of imposter syndrome. Well, what if I say something and then somebody comes back and like, who cares? You have to stop thinking. You have right. to stop concerning yourself with what other people are going to think or say, because they're going to think or say it anyway. What you have to be concerned about are the people out there that you know can benefit from what you have to say. That's who you focus on. Don't focus on the people who are going to tell you what you can and cannot do. Focus on the people that really need to hear what you have to say and can really benefit from that. That's what keeps you going. That's what keeps you motivated. So it, it's very, very interesting. And some of these women also, I've noticed they're very vocal on social media, Barb. Very vocal. I, I call them keyboard gangsters, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> they can get on, they can yeah. get on Facebook and LinkedIn and these platforms and they can just type away. But ask them to come on and verbalize that. They won't do it. They won't do it. So we are out here, you know, yeah. Barb, myself. <laughs> there, there are women out here who who have something to share, who want their and it's not about. It's not about just mouthing off and, and just talking just for the sake of talking. No, these are these are people, women who have very valuable contributions to make. And I just wish that most of us, I think, had more exposure to because even when you look at podcast listener stats, 
is still predominantly male. Hmm. Um, so that that might be part of it too, Barb, is that I think, I don't know if you find this, but I, I know that a lot of women still don't understand, well, you know, if you have an iPhone, the Apple Podcast app is already on there. <laughs> or, you know, if you have, you know, but they don't, they don't know. And they, they certainly don't think of a podcast as a place to go and learn something. Right. Either. So, so I think, I think we can turn this around, you know, people like us, um, you know, just really quick, funny story. There was a podcaster that I connected with uh, last month sometime on LinkedIn. And he wrote back to me right away. Oh my gosh, this is so cool. A woman podcaster. I didn't know you guys were into this kind of thing. (laughs) That's hilarious. I mean, and it's there, like, oh my there are plenty of women doing <laughs> exactly, podcasts. You know? Exactly. Like, <laughs> but it, it just, yeah. uh, it amazed me that of all of the female podcasters that are out here, he didn't know of one. Yeah. That's frightening. I think we're, it feels like we're outnumbered anyway. I mean, I could be wrong about that, but it does feel like there's more dues out well, there we than are. women. We right? are, but, we um, are yeah. outnumbered. And it's something about the communication. I don't know. I just find it very interesting that, um, A, for me to even, you know, find uh, the woman out there who like fits the platform and we want to have on, either you can't get through to them through their 3000 gatekeepers or you get, (laughs) or you get through and you just don't hear from them. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting to me. And so I'm going to keep like paying attention to it, but I am super glad. And we connected, I'll go ahead and say it. I connected with you through guestio, Travis Chappell. Mm -hmm. We, we had him on our podcast, um, you know, to talk about all he's doing. And I would recommend if any, if there are any women out there, let's say, let's give them a plug now, right. And help the women connect. If there are women out there who have a story to tell, a mission to serve, and you know, you want to get out there and share it on the podcast, hop on Guestio um, and check it out. You're welcome, Travis. But, um, but I don't (laughs) mind doing it. I don't mind doing it because it's great. Right. Like I would never have found you without that. So I'm happy to throw that that out there um, because it's great. And I think that those are more things that we need to be aware of. There are ways to get seen and heard uh, and do that. So Alicia, thank you so much for, for going oh, out there you, and Barb. being this accessible was, this was fun. and um, throw it one out there one more time, your websites, where people can find you one last sure, time. Sure. Sure. It's Alicia Butler, Pierre.com. And when you get there, you'll, you'll see how to connect with me on social media, my podcast, my book, my consulting company, all things me basically. I- Excellent. Excellent. And I'm sorry we didn't get to even hop onto your book, but I'll put a link up. We'll do a write-up on the article and I'll put a link up to your book as okay, well. Okay, sure. That'd be great. Thank okay. you. All right. Thanks so much, Alicia. Thank you, Barb. All right, everyone. There you have it. That wraps up another episode of the American Sippers Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today and spending a little bit of your time with us here on the show. If you got any value out of today's episode, please share this podcast with a friend. Let people know what we're doing here. Share one of your favorite episodes on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Uh, You can find us at all those places uh, at American Snippets. I'd like to personally thank Alicia Butler-Pierre for being here uh, on the show, taking the time to share her story. I hope you found it inspiring. If you want to learn more about Alicia and follow her on social, learn more, more about her 
her business. Make sure you go to americansnippets.com forward slash newsletter. It's a featured podcast episode of the week. There'll be some links there that you can use to follow. Again, Alicia on social, check out her business and learn more about her. So make sure you go to americansnippets.com forward slash newsletter to see the show notes and the featured episode of the week. Uh, Again, we appreciate you being here today. Don't forget, we have the great American Syndicate. This is our community of freedom-loving, patriotic Americans who believe in the American dream and the core values that this country was founded on. It is a coalition of Americans who want to make a difference in this country, who believe in the power of giving back. Uh, so it's a collective movement, a collective movement, and we would love for you to be involved. Just go to greatamericansyndicate.com to learn more. Uh, and that pretty much wraps up today's show. So thank you so much for tuning in. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you really are. Yeah.